0: Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. We're in uh, week three of the Series Squeeze, talking about uh, suffering, talking about pain and loss. Uh, a couple, uh, a while back... Uh, pastor john came to me and said hey brett uh, can you teach towards the end of may and you know I, i said yes uh now place yourself in my shoes if john came to you and said hey can you teach can you teach what would be your first question to him what do you think my first response to john was when he asked me that question what do you think what who said that yes what's the subject What's the subject, right? I mean, obviously, like, that's what I want to know. We, we do series here, and so there, there's, a, there's a logic kind of what we, we're teaching. And John replies back and says, suffering. And in my mind, like I don't say this to him, but in my mind, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, do you know what this means, John? Because now God's going to have to teach me about suffering. Isn't that how it works, right? Like, like between now and when I teach, he's going to to teach me about suffering so that I can give it and you have no idea how paranoid I have been these last couple weeks. Like, I'm being serious. Like, I, I've like, wondered when I go around a corner, am I going to be faced with some sort of pain and suffering and loss? I've been waiting for that, that element or that sickness to fall upon me to, to, uh, to help me learn about suffering. I, I, I've been driving down Ward's Road five miles under the speed limit to avoid any college student that may cause me to get into a wreck or some sort of accident, right? I've been paranoid out of my mind waiting for that opportunity. I mean, out of all the subjects, right? I mean, I would love to teach on uh, blessing and abundance, right? That makes sense. You know how that prayer goes. Like, God give me a million dollars so I can teach them how to have a million dollars as well, right? (laughs) Like, that would be easy. It would be easy. I would love to even teach on relationships, right? Like, my wife and I, we love each other. We're committed to one another. We play a lot of card games. I mean, I can use a lot of good illustrations from Rook and, and what we learn about relationships, okay? Or, I mean, any, I'll even go the book of Revelation with all of its weird imagery and symbolism. I'll even tackle that. But, but, but suffering? Really? Yep. And so anytime we talk about this topic, specifically in the context of the Bible, we have to go where? The book of Job. Because intertwined throughout the entire narrative of Job is this idea of suffering. You can't escape it. It doesn't matter what chapter you read in Job, you will see suffering. You will see pain. You will see loss. And so it makes sense in this series that we would touch on Job. I mean, there, there's so much there. And so, this past Monday, in my preparation, I just started reading through Job. And I was reminded of the incredible content that's there. I mean, it's, it's heavy, and it's a lot. And so, I, you know, I'm just reading verse after verse, chapter after chapter, realizing it could take us literally months to actually move through here thoroughly. And I'm going to do it in one teaching, okay? <laughs> I didn't get a lot of laughs on that, because, like, all right. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, I'm not John, okay? Um, we'll keep this short. Uh, so so I'm, I'm, I'm reading through and I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Literally, God, like, God, there's so much here. Like, what, what could it possibly be that you want to teach me? And what possibly would you want to teach this church, this community of believers? And so I, I'm just spending a lot of time just reading and, and, and praying. And so Monday, I get off of work. And I get in my car. And I do what I normally do when I get in my car. I turn on the radio Take the same route I take. And, and however, the difference with this day is when I turn on the radio, I heard about uh, this tornado that completely wiped out whole towns. And, and as I'm listening, they're giving details about how big this tornado is and the potential loss of life. And my initial reaction to that in my car is why? Right? Like I sat there driving Probably not even realizing what was going on around me demanding answers like God like why all this devastation this pain this loss like I want to know why and so my guess is that no matter how you heard about the tornado in Oklahoma you you know whether it was through TV or social media or a friend called you you probably responded with the question why why God make some sort of sense to this give me some sort of reasoning why this had to happen. And Job responds no differently. Job is just like us. When he was face-to-face with suffering and pain and loss, his first reaction was, why? So let me set up the book of Job and kind of what we're going to be talking about. Um, when you read Job and start off, you see straight off in like chapter 1 this convers- conversation between God and Satan. Okay? And they're having this conversation, and Satan accuses Job, essentially, of only worshiping God because God has given Job a lot of blessing. I mean, and when it was true because Job was a blessed man. You read that Job had possessions. He had great uh, land and animals. He had a lot of workers. Job had a family. He had a lot of stuff. And so Satan says the only reason Job worships you, God, is because you have given him an easy life. You have cleared, paved the road for him. That's what, That's the only reason he worships you. So God gives Satan permission to have his way, to do what he wants to do with Job. And so we read that Job loses everything except his life. Job loses his land, his animals, his workers. Job loses his health and he loses his family. Everything that he's He's placed his identity, everything that's come to give him comfort and and, and love and joy has been stripped away from Job. And he is left there, what? Asking the question, why? Demanding a reason of why everything has been stripped away. Why he has faced this pain and this loss. So let's read his response to God. In Job chapter 7, verse 20, it says this. He says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. A couple chapters later, chapter 10, says this. And he gets really honest. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. So he's like, God, I'm not holding anything back here. Not holding anything back. Here's how I feel. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of my hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Job asks, why? Have you ever been in a place like Job was? Like, have you ever been brought to a point where you use similar, similar language, similar words that Job uses in his response? Have you been brought that low to where you just, all you can say is, is, is why? What, like, what have I done? My wife and I have been there. When we got married very early in our uh, marriage, we had the uh, suspicion that it was gonna be difficult for us to get pregnant for different reasons. And so we wanted to, to get some clarity on that. And so, you know, as soon as we were married, I remember going to the doctors and them doing tests, and we uh, going to Charlottesville to the infertility doctor, and them pinpointing pretty quick, quickly um, that uh, we were classified as infertile, unable to have our own kids. Now, to any uh, normal like couple. That, that's going to be a crushing blow. Like, we're not abnormal in the fact that that hurt, that it brought uh, pain and suffering into our lives. But, but more so for even Casey and I is that we, we've always had this um, uncanny, uh, extraordinary love and passion for kids, for children. Like I, I remember, this is a true story, uh, a couple years back my mom showed me uh, one of these things I made in first grade. Okay, first grade. And, you know, in first grade, you're supposed to do that thing where you, you say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be, right? And so uh, I, I have this thing, and, and I wrote in first grade, when I grow up, I want to get married and have kids. <laughs> Who does that? Not, not a firefighter, not an astronaut, not a president of the United States. I said, when I grow up, I want to get married and have kids, end of story. I'm weird, okay? I know, all right? It doesn't make sense. And I can even remember in middle school waiting to get old enough to go in the nursery and to just hold babies and make them laugh. I was really good at that, okay? I'm I'm the baby whisperer, all right? I don't know what it is. I can't explain it, but my wife and I have always had just this incredibly strong desire to have our kids, have children, just raise them up. And so as we encountered trip after trip to the infertility doctor, procedure after procedure to fi- try to figure out can we fix this, can, what can we do? Negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test. We were in a season of suffering. It hurt. I mean, sometimes all we knew to respond were in tears and Tokyo takeout because that's all we knew, and that's all we knew, right? <laughs> tears in Tokyo. And that's how we, we try to deal with it. And we weren't just asking God, why can't we have kids? We were asking God, why have you given us such a strong desire and passion to have kids, and yet not the means to have kids? That doesn't make sense. What, like, demanding answers from God, why? Why? That's what we do, isn't it? When we are faced with suffering, when we are faced with pain, our immediate reaction is to ask, Why? Now the fascinating thing here in the book of Job is that chapters 3 through 31, did you hear that? Chapters 3 through 31, some 20 some chapters is, is nothing more than this banter back and forth between Job and his friends. Doing just this, asking the questions of why, demanding reasonings. 20 some chapters of them trying to formulate some sort of solution, some sort of uh, magic trick that will uh, you know, take this suffering away from Job. Trying to figure out, okay, Job, maybe you did this, and so you need to do this, and, and it'll be all good. Job, maybe you made God mad, and, and you need to, you know, uh, repent and say you're sorry, and, and God will take it all away. Back and forth, back and forth. Chapter after chapter 3 through 31. But then in chapter 36, we see this. So after Job and his friends going back and forth, this guy named Elihu, Elihu, speaks up, and he says something very Very important. Chapter 36, he says this. Verse 5. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. Focus on the last part. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. Elihu says this, basically. He says, guys, I hear what you're saying. I hear you're trying to figure everything out and give some sort of uh, parameters uh, on what's happening here. But he says this. God has a purpose and a plan, and it is firm. It, it will be accomplished, which means even in the midst of suffering, God's plan will be accomplished. who says, look, suffering doesn't catch God off guard. It doesn't surprise him. It doesn't alter his plans. It doesn't cause him to say, oh, wow, didn't see that coming. Now I have to do something completely different. who recognizes in the midst of asking why, he says, okay, what we need to understand is that God has a purpose, a plan, even in the midst of suffering. And so I mentioned how the bulk of this book is taken with this this banter, this questioning back and forth between Job and his friends. And finally, God responds. And I don't know about you, but when I uh, read the Bible, or really any book for that matter, I like to picture things in my mind. I like to kind of recreate what's going on, and it kind of helps me understand. So as I'm reading this, okay, I can picture God just kind of Sitting back, waiting patiently. And maybe with his arms crossed. But okay, nod your head. When you're done, guys, I, I, I would like to you know, say something. And so finally, Job and his friends, Elihu, they all be quiet. And God responds with a question, which frustrates us, right? Because they're asking questions and God responds with a question. And Jesus did this often, right? When, we, when, when someone brought something to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what do you think about blah, blah, blah. Jesus would respond, let me ask you a question. And that frustrates us. It's like, no, 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 no. I want an answer. And so God responds with a question. Here's what he says. Job chapter 38, verse 2. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words and without knowledge? He says, brace yourself like a man, which, which is an insult. I mean, you've probably, guys, you probably say that to one of your friends. Like, dude, man up, right? Brace yourself like a man. Or you probably said it a different way, just not PG, right? Um... He says this, and then God gets a little sarcastic here, right? I mean, God gets a little sarcastic. He says, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know who stretched the measuring line across it. On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? And so God says... Like, Job, where were you when I took the galaxies and I just kind of spread them into space? Hey, Job, where were you when I took earth and said, okay, the land's going to be here and the water's going to come here. And I'm going I'm to tilt it and spin it and then send it around the earth. Sun? excuse me. And so he's saying this, and he's like, Joe, did you have any say in this? Were you there when I did this? Like, Joe, do you understand that if the earth was any closer to the sun, you would all fry? Or if the earth was further from the sun, you would all freeze and die? Like, Joe, I made the earth specifically and intentionally to be able to hold life. I did that with my thoughts. Were you there? God responds with a question. In fact, God continues to ask questions. He asks Job 70 questions, around 70, 70 questions. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, God, dude, give the man a break. Like, I think he gets the point after maybe the first 20. Like, he's lost everything, and now you're grilling him question after question after question. 70 about. And I think what God is doing is this. I think um, through this questioning, God is leading Job to a truth. He, he's leading Job to something he wants to communicate. He, God in his questions is leading us this morning to something very, very important. And it's this. This is the bottom line for today. It said, God desires for us to have greater knowledge and understanding of who he is. And sometimes that is accomplished through suffering. God desires for us to have greater knowledge and understanding of who he is. And sometimes that is accomplished through suffering. Now, let's be honest. That doesn't sit well with me. Like, that doesn't make me feel good and and, and fuzzy inside. Why? Because when we uh, question God, when we demand answers, what we're really looking for, what our desire truly is, is to get back what we lost, right? It's for God to to reply to us and say, okay, here's your specific time frame of when the suffering will end. What we really want is to know that as we continue forward, God is going to promise us safety and no harm, and it's going to be easy. That's what we really want when we ask the question of why. But what God is doing here when he questions Job is he's taking the light the focus off of Job. He's removing it and placing it on himself. And sometimes it doesn't sit well with us. We don't, we don't like that. Even in saying this, it's like, I, I don't know about you, it doesn't make me feel fuzzy and warm inside. He's taking the focus off of Job and saying, look, no, 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 needs to be on me. The focus needs to be on me, Job. See, God wanted Job to understand some very important things. And here's what I think God was trying to communicate to Job. This is is what I think that, that God was saying, Job, you need to understand this. You need to see this. First of all, I think that God wanted Job to see him better as creator. As creator. God as creator. See, earlier, the verses I read earlier where God says, hey, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? I think God was saying to Job, hey, Job, like, you need to see me as creator. Like, my desire is for you to understand, to worship me, to see me as creator. Where were you? I think also God wanted to communicate to Job. Hey, Job, I, I'm your sustainer. God as sustainer. This won't be on the screen, so you can listen. But, but in uh, chapter 38, one of the questions he says is this. Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in the dens or lie in wait in thicket? Who provides food for the raven when it's young? Cry out to God and wonder about for lack of food. So he says, like, do you provide the food, Job? Like, do you, are you sustainer? Not, not only, have, Job, have I given you life, like breathed air into your lungs, but this morning I've sustained you. I've given you life. I woke you up this morning. Job, Job, you need to see me, God, as sustainer. I, I also think God wanted to communicate to Job, hey, Job, I am Savior. God as Savior. Chapter later, chapter 40, verse 9, he, he would say this. Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? And then again, he's kind of sarcastic again. He says, then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of the wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. And then he says this, then I might my, myself will admit to you That your own right hand can save you. And so he looks at Job and says, Job, can you with your hand adorn and clothe yourself with majesty and glory? And can you still with that same hand save yourself? It's a rhetorical question. No. God God is saying, Okay, through this, Job, I need you to see me as Savior. I need you to see me as savior. God desires for us to have greater knowledge and understanding of who he is. And sometimes that is accomplished through suffering. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant mind. C.S. Lewis is one of those guys that I'm really jealous of. That had, he had such a, a fascinating way to communicate the truths of God. And, and his writing was just brilliant. And he would say it like this. This quote from C.S. Lewis says this. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God was not punishing Job. God was not punishing Job because earlier they were trying to figure that out. And he's like, no, 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 no. It it wasn't a specific sin. I'm not punishing you. God wasn't being careless or cold with Job. God was leading Job to a place to where he had greater understanding and knowledge of who God is. God asked Job these questions to help lead him to this place. Okay, I'm God as creator and sustainer and savior. Job, I need you to see me as this. For my wife and I, we would eventually get pregnant. And uh, last October, Aletheia May was born. And and so our prayer request was ultimately answered. Like our season of suffering had a definitive end to it. But that doesn't solve the issue of why, does it? No, I mean, no, it just means that our prayers were eventually answered. We have a daughter that came from our flesh and our blood. But here's the deal. In that season of suffering, here's what we learned about God. Because when we thought we were never going to have kids of our own, what did we do? We, We started to inquire about adoption. We started to, to figure out what's the process of adoption, uh, you know, what's our next steps. Uh, we started to talk to other people about the process of adoption to figure out what we needed to do and how it all worked. But here's what happened. Through that time, we were led to a greater understanding of God. God as a father who loves and is passionate about the orphan. Right? Like, we learned through that moment, that season of suffering, that God is a God who loves and is passionate about the orphan, the fatherless, the motherless. And this suffering caused Casey and I, our hearts, to align with God. For us, for the first time, to realize that God is passionate about those kids, and we can actually do something about it. Like, we can actually be the hands and feet to bring the love of God to those kids who aren't loved and don't have a family. That wouldn't have happened I believe if we had not first been brought to a point where we just said, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know. But man, I, I see, I understand at a greater depth that your love is so great for the orphan. And so even though we have a little girl right now of our own, our passion and drive to adopt hasn't changed. In fact, our prayer every day is that God would either give us $20,000 or a baby at our doorstep. We'll take Either one or both, okay? That's, that's our path. We, we want an adopted son, an adopted daughter, and an adopted son, an adopted daughter. And we still don't know how many, but we're, we're figuring that out. But listen, like, we, I don't know if we ever would have got there unless God had not used his megaphone of suffering to say, Brett and Casey, you, you don't yet understand the love I have for the orphans. You don't, you don't understand it yet. But you need to. Because you can be my hands and feet to bring them hope. Let's keep going. Let's keep going, okay? So Job is sitting back and he's getting grilled, just grilled with these questions. And I can feel, like he's sitting there in probably awe and and disbelief and and wonder. And finally he pieces together the words to respond. I I can imagine like just sitting there and then finally saying, okay, I I, I know how I'm going to respond. And here's... You can see the change, like literally in his response. You can see the change that God has led him to. And here's what he says. Chapter 42, verse 1. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Does that sound familiar? You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? I love this. He said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand and things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen to me and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job recognizes in this moment, God, like I have heard of you. Like I, I, I worshiped you, but now my eyes through the circumstances have been opened to more of you. God, I see you now as creator. You have given me the breath in my lungs God, I see you as sustainer. The the fact that the lions have food and the ravens have food and I I am here. I woke up this morning. God, you are sustainer. God, you are savior. I can't save myself. I can't adorn myself with majesty and glory. Only you can. Joseph says, I get it. I understand. And this is how he responds. You can see the shift in his thinking. God desires for us to have greater knowledge and understanding of who he is. Is and sometimes that is accomplished through suffering. And uh, here's his. Uh, so he, he has this realization. He, he understands God better as these, these three things, and probably more. And how does he respond? A couple of verses later, he responds with worship, right? So he's he, he's led through this suffering, this pain, and this loss. God asks him these questions, and he's he, he's understanding more of God, and ultimately Job responds with worship. Here you go. Chapter 42, verse six. He says, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now he's not repenting of a specific sin. They've already tried to go down that route. They've already tried to say, hey, Job, maybe you did something to make God mad. If you would just repent, he'll take it away. They, and God said, no, 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 that, that's not why. That's not why. So Job isn't repenting of a specific sin. Job is understanding in this moment his posture and position before God, creator, sustainer, savior. Like he's literally bringing himself to a humble place. And saying, God, like before, I just I, I heard of you. I didn't understand you, but now my eyes have been opened, and all I know to do is respond with worship, with with humble worship. That's the only thing I know how to respond with worship. Now, the truth is, for for all of us today, like if there's some point in your life where you came to that moment where um, you heard the story of Jesus, you heard the gospel, you heard the good news, and you placed your faith in Jesus, right? Like you look to Jesus as your source of salvation. The truth is you already know this to be true. This bottom line, you may not even realize it, but you know it to be true. Why? Because of the story of Jesus. So check this out. When Jesus was on the earth, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, someone close to him, someone that he had spent so much time and energy investing into, suffering, right? Right? Jesus was, uh, w- w- was tortured beyond our belief. Like he, he was tortured, which suffering. Jesus was then nailed to a cross and, and died. Uh, just a gruesome death, which was suffering. Now, if you're a disciple at that time, how do you respond to that? Well, you just ask why. And think about it. Like if you're a disciple during that time, and you've been following this man who you've seen him do miracles, you've seen him walk on water, you've heard him say that he's the son of God, and now he's gone. Not only is he gone, but he went through some of the most horrific suffering he's ever, ever, ever seen. And now he's gone. As a disciple, you have to be demanding answers from God. God, this, this guy was supposed to save us. This guy was supposed to be our savior, and now he's gone. Not only is he gone, but he suffered so greatly. What the heck are you doing? Doesn't make any sense. They asked why. And then three days later, Jesus would raise from the dead. To what? To accomplish his ultimate purpose. That was done through suffering and through Jesus raising from the dead. That because of that, now we can see God as this God of great mercy, great grace, and great love. Now we can look to Jesus and now see him and understand him as our, as our Savior. Because of the suffering he went through, because of the death, and because of the resurrection. The suffering was necessary and helped lead to that point of us understanding more about God and his son, Jesus. And so listen, the next time you're faced with suffering, because we talked about this last week, or John talked about this, that we're not exempt from suffering from pain and from loss. And so the next time you're you're approached with that and you come face to face with, with whatever that is, Like, resist the urge to immediately ask and demand why. Resist the urge. And it's not going to be easy. But instead, what if we actually got on our knees and prayed that God would open our eyes? That he would help us to open our eyes to more of him. And to to understand at a deeper depth who he is. Right? Like, what if God is trying to say, in the midst of your suffering even now, to say, hey, listen, you need to see me as a loving father. Like, you, you don't yet. Like, you don't see me. You see me as this, this, this evil judge or this evil, either evil father who reflects your earthly father. That's not so. Like, you need to see me as this loving father. Or maybe God's saying through suffering, hey, you got to see me as, as provider. Like, right now, you're putting a lot of faith in your job and your ability to perform and to accomplish things, but you need to see me as your provider. You, you're not there yet. Or maybe God is using suffering as his megaphone. To communicate, you, you have not yet seen Jesus as Savior. You have not yet trusted and placed your faith in him as Savior. And so I would challenge today, like if you came in the doors and, and on your back is just the weight of this, this suffering or loss, whatever you're dealing with. I, today, before you leave, pray that. Like pray that God's spirit would make it very clear that he would open your eyes to whatever it is that God is saying, look, you need, you're not there yet, you need to understand me more as this or, or this. But whatever it is, here's what it should do. It should ultimately lead us to a place of worship. Right? Because anytime we come to a place of greater understanding and knowledge of who God is, we will always be led to a place of greater worship in Him. Understanding and knowledge of who He is should always cause us to fall on our knees and to worship Him for who we know Him. The names of God. The characteristics of God. And that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to close today is a response of worship to Him. So let's pray. Father, you are, um, you are a loving and gracious God. And and sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes it's frustrating because we don't see that. We don't, we don't feel that in our circumstances, in our situations. God, uh, when we are faced with suffering, with with pain, with loss, you know our natural reaction is to ask why, is, is to demand answers. And so I, uh, my prayer for all of us today is that our, our, our gut reaction would be to, to pray in those times of suffering that you would open our eyes, that your spirit would lead us to understand what it is about you that we, we don't yet get, we don't yet grasp, or we know but we're not living in our lives, Father. Like today, is it God as, as provider, as creator, as sustainer, as father, as savior? What, what is it, God? May you make that very clear to us this morning. Father, uh, we, I also recognize that you are the God, the Father of, of peace and comfort. And so in those times where we are brought to that low place, where even like Job, he, he said, I loathe my own life. I don't even know why I'm alive. Father, may your peace and, and your comfort uh, surround us in those moments. May we come to the realization that you are always with us, you've never left us. And that that your desire is for us to know more of you, become more dependent, to fall more in love with, to, to come to a greater place of awe and reverence for you. So, Father, may we, this morning, respond with worship. We love you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.